Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you seeking meaning beyond work and consumption? Does it sometimes seem that instead of God, money rules the world and runs your life? Welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. We are exploring the many aspects of our relationship with money within the grounding of our faith, our money beliefs, our sense of security, truly loving our families and making a difference in the world. Now, here is your host, Mike Little. Hello and welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection. I'm your host, Mike Little, Director of Faith and Money Network. Money is so important in our lives as God's people that it is the second most frequently mentioned theme in the Bible. Money is so important in our lives as North Americans that it drives our work choices, impacts our relationships, affects the health of our environment, shapes our self-image, and, yeah, keeps us up at night. Our fundamental understanding of God's abundance and of our own sufficiency is ultimately a spiritual issue. Faithful money decisions can strengthen our family relationships, empower us to share our resources with others, and free us to live out God's call on our lives. If something is that important to us as God's people, shouldn't the church have something to say about it? And yet, too many of us seldom hear about money in our church communities unless the church is raising money for next year's budget or a new capital campaign. What's up with that? How can the church be so silent on such an important issue? Our guests today are pastors of churches that have moved out of the silence to actually talk about money. Perhaps their stories will inspire you and your local faith community to step out into this vital realm of our spiritual journey. Our first guest is Reverend Dr. Roy Howard. He's pastor of St. Mark Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. His broad range of church and community service includes gun violence prevention and a decade of leadership in Jewish-Christian dialogue in the Washington, D.C. area. He's led mission trips to Haiti, Israel, and Mexico, as well as groups of pastors seeking to strengthen their leadership skills. A long-distance runner and avid hiker, Reverend Howard also facilitates an annual pastor-theologian seminar in Colorado for hiking and theological reflection. He and his wife have two grown daughters. Welcome, Roy. Mike, I'm glad to be here. It's a good conversation we need to have. That's right. Hey, if money is so important in our lives and in the Bible, why don't we hear more about it in our churches? Well, I, I would say three things. and uh, Fear, shame, and vulnerability, or the lack of it. And uh, so those those are the three uh, boogeymen that I'll probably repeat several times uh, today, the kind of the roots we need to look at. But I also think, uh, Mike, that a lot of church leaders are afraid of offending or uh, or so, somehow like being intrusive with their members in ways that members won't appreciate. A lot of members, on the other hand, are afraid of being exposed for their... Uh, confusion around money and, and sort of intimidated around that and and their spending habits being exposed uh, in a way that makes them uncomfortable so leaders church leaders pastors and others are you know stepping into a lot of um, minefields in people's emotional lives and uh, the root of all of this, I think, is is a is a, a felt sense of shame around money, either either from early training or early experiences, and uh, that that has led to this culture of secret. What I'll call, anyway, a culture of secrecy. The antidote is uh, is 
is being uh, more honest with one another, which means being more vulnerable, neither one of which are commonly practiced. And uh, yeah, I'm going to say something here that, that could be offensive, but the church is, is, is ironically, or sadly, it's better at shame and secrecy than vulnerability. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's a hard thing to say, but in my experience, that is oftentimes true. And even from its leaders, even from its pastors, we, we, we can either find the pastoral skills to break through a culture of secrecy with the, with the conviction that doing that actually will, will uh, at the end of the day, bring a deeper sense of, of, uh, of joy, of happiness, of community. But it's a, it's a tough culture to speak into. It is. Do you think there is a cost, or what would you say is the cost when we kind of skirt around the money issues? Well, I, I think the cost is, is uh, you know, you could probably name them yourself. It's the cost that goes with a culture of, of, of shame and secrecy. And, you know, that obviously... Or maybe it's not so obvious. It, it leads to less than honest relationships. You know, we we were friendship or friends or colleagues, but only to a certain degree. And that the the the, the degree is when we start approaching things that really touch the deeper aspects of our lives that we, that we for the most part keep secret. Uh, conversations about this issue. The, they matter. They matter actually more in our lives than than nearly anything. And so, to skirt that means that we're not talking about the thing that, as you mentioned, is uh, is you know either the first or the second thing that that uh, causes families to be disruptive. Right. Uh, right. You know, around money, and yet if we don't talk about it, we're not talking about one of the most important things. It's an, you probably heard this cliche, and I'm sure the listeners have. It's an old cliche, but sometimes it's easier to talk about sex than it is to talk about money. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that, that's, uh, that brings with it a lot of cost. And I guess your question is, what are they? And the, the, I think the chief one is the lack of, of truly true relationships that have any depth to them. And, and a culture of secrecy. Yeah. I know in my experience around the churches, I've, I've heard money described kind of on both ends. One is it's kind of filthy and almost evil, and let's don't, even, let's don't talk about it for that reason. Right. And, and I've also heard it talked about as, you know, just it's a blessing. And, and so it kind of leaves people who maybe don't have it thinking that they're not blessed. And, so, you know, which is it, I, I wonder? And I'm curious how you characterize money when you teach and preach it. Yes. Well, I suppose I should say somewhat parenthetically that uh, the prosper- what's sometimes called the prosperity gospel, which on the one hand looks at money in a positive way, on the other hand, the result of that uh, gospel in other words, you're the the amount of your wealth is a indication of your piety. Mm-hmm. Creates the same kind of culture of shame. So that that I guess that would be the first thing that I would say. I'm not a I'm not a prosperity gospel uh, uh, proponent. I try to speak about money always in the context of the whole stewardship of our lives which are gifts from God. Our whole life, everything is a gift from God. And that money in that context is, is really neither blessing nor curse in and of itself. It's what I preach. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. It's a gift that can be used to bring about blessings to others through sharing. And, it, and doing that creates relationships. It brings joy, brings gener- you know, generosity, generates all sorts of of uh, positive things in our lives that we long for. But it's what we do with the money. It's not the money itself, because it can also be used for destructive purposes. You know, it, it, it can sustain self-centeredness and create a life of indulgence. The more money you have, the more indulgent 
you can be. And, you know, that's pretty much the way our culture drives it. You know, get, get more, that is, more money, so you can get more stuff. Because the more stuff you have, the more happier you will be. But we know that, actually, at the end of the day, there's a limit to that. Um, and uh, at some point it drops off. The more you have, the less happier you are. Uh, yeah. Do you preach, uh, you know, a lot of times we hear just the the fall campaign. Do you, how often do you preach about money? Well, I would say I talk about money a lot. Uh, nearly every Sunday there is a, I would not say every single Sunday, but nearly every Sunday there is an occasion to reinforce that basic message about generosity, creating uh, community, and a, and a felt sense of happiness in our lives. So, for instance, in our worship services, like most churches, we have an offering. That offering doesn't have to be a sermonic moment. For me, though, it can, it can be a very uh, concise and incisive teaching moment just around that very act of giving mm. can be reinforced with biblical messages, and that can be done, and actually I try to do that every Sunday within about a one-minute or two-minute frame. Um, so I don't preach you know, frequently a, a topic about money, but I would say that we, we have a culture in which talking about money is much more acceptable than it than it had been in the past. Do you ever get pr- um, pressure not to talk about it? Did anybody in your congregation say enough already? Or uh, not? I have had that before. I have had that. Yes, uh, I wouldn't say that it's a lot of pressure. Um, but there, there's this, uh, there's a notion out there that that uh, if you talk too much about it, the giving dries up. This is what I, I have heard before. Because people don't like to be, this is the phrase, nickel and dimed. Right. Uh, but the truth, my sense is that the people who are saying that are the ones who are feeling the most pressure to be generous, more right. generous than they are. Right, right. And, <laughs> and so they're not liking the pressure of what they call being nickel and dimed. Right. What I've experienced, Mike, across five churches now is that actually the more opportunities that are put out there to give, the general giving of a congregation rise, oh, totally rises. Mm-hmm. It doesn't if, decline because not everybody gives to every opportunity, but all of the opportunities together create a culture of generosity. Right. Hey, Roy, we're going to take a break. Folks, yeah. stick with us. We'll be right back. We're talking about money and church today. Stick with us. Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Welcome back. We're talking with Reverend Roy Howard of St. Mark's in uh, uh, Rockville, Maryland, and we're talking about church and money and and pastors and money. Uh, Roy, you serve as a group leader, I know, for pastors seeking to kind of strengthen their pastoral leadership skills. And I'm curious, where uh, have you seen money arise as one of the leadership skills that pastors need? Yeah, I would say two, probably uh, in two places in particular. One is or maybe three. One is around the the obvious thing of building a budget that balances out the church's call to be in in ministry with the with our neighbors and and uh, taking care in some cases of aging buildings or buildings themselves. And um, that's that's just a perennial challenge. Mm-hmm. of helping congregations to figure out how to um you know do do both and do both in a way that is is uh, fair and just and also you know reflects their values and churches are are communities of people where there's disagreement around that and pastors i think need to have some confidence and some some uh, wisdom around um uh, how how we actually have just like we do at home we have to balance the things that are requirements in our lives with the with the values that we want to express and families do the same things that churches do they, they you know they have to struggle with that and couples you know may disagree about that on occasion and you have to have some skill in navigating the, those waters i think the other area mike where pastors you know, need leadership skills is, and this may come up later, is helping, uh, having the confidence that though they may be making less money personally than members of their congregation, who in some cases might be really wealthy, uh, having the confidence to talk to those persons in a pastoral way about their uh, stewardship, and about their life, and and for the, on the pastor side, not to feel uh, a one down. I guess is the way I would put mm-hmm. it. Uh, to you know, to have a confidence of their calling. Right, and these skills that you're mentioning, and I'm sure there are others. Did did you learn them in seminary? I'm curious what what's being taught in, from just your many years of being around seminaries and seminarians. What what's your take on that? I would say that zero. Mm, really? Pretty much zero. Mm. There are some institutes at post, sort of post-seminary, you know, seminars and, and uh, things like that that are adjacent to seminaries that that uh, pastors uh, can go to. I mean, the Faith and Money Network would be an example. Wesley Seminary is trying to do some work at their Lewis Center of Leadership, but Seminary education itself, I would say pastors are poorly equipped mm. to uh, to provide the kind of uh, confident leadership in these areas. Some of that uh, we we have a new a young associate here. She's she's not yet thirty. Some of it has to do with you know having the the confidence that though you don't have a lot of life experience, you can still speak to these issues to people who may be much older than you. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? What do you wish you had learned about money, you know, before you became a pastor? As you look back now, you know, you'd say, I wish I would have known this. What would you say? I wish I would had more time, more mm-hmm. time to reflect at a, at a emotion, personal level with a spiritual director or maybe even a group uh, about my own uh, history of money with my with my parents, actually family of origin. I think that there's so much uh, speaking personally there that creates 
one's attitudes later on in life. I didn't. Ha- I would not describe my family as as dirt poor or anywhere close to that. But we we were a, had a very very modest income and lots of conflict around money with my folks, and uh, uh, I had a large family, so they were struggling frequently and. I, I would love to have been able to process some of those things as a young pastor in training, yeah. because I think what I shared is a lot of what what uh, all people share. Different. Well, I think that's right. I think that's right. So we didn't Roy, have any of that. Yeah, yeah. Roy, would you share a story of when your church has found joy uh, around uh, the? Questions of money? Yeah. Well, I guess there would be two. One uh, occurred after the uh, 2008-2009 crash, economic crash that occurred. At that very time, we were in uh, in conversation and in some conflict, actually, about renovating our sanctuary and the money that that would cost to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, alongside of that conversation came, uh, that was not bringing any joy at all, <laughs> came, mm-hmm. came a vision that we needed to actually to set aside a very significant amount of money to help our members who may find themselves uh, facing default on their homes uh, because of the economic crash. And we had some serious conversation about that because it would significantly change uh, uh, the, the future, in, in, at least in the short term. But we, we, uh, we unanimously decided that that was the right thing to do. And once we did that and announced it to the congregation that anybody here who is finding themselves in danger of being evicted or defaulting on their mortgage and so on, that we, we're, we're going to support you with this fund that we've set aside, that that was just a tremendous uh, uh, sense of joy. Mm, that's beautiful. It was, it was really, we still have that fund, and we have, we have uh, dispersed money from it to, mm. our, to our members. So that makes everybody feel good, and, and it, 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 it uh, is an example for me of uh, this, what I believe is a principle in my life, that generosity creates joy. Mm. It, and mm. so, so that was that. Eventually we did, as you know, your listeners won't, we did renovate our sanctuary in a really beautiful way, but uh, uh, it, what we did it with fewer funds, which changed the whole design of that rebuild, and and uh, it, in the end, it, it actually was a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the other thing about creating joy in our church has come from moments that we didn't expect, and those are the catastrophic moments that occur uh, that we all know about, earthquakes and floods and and uh, the tsunami and, and the Filipino flood most recently that our church, which is a mid-sized to smaller church, has uh, it, it, each one of those occasions has gotten us out of the we-don't-have-enough mode into, of course we're going to help. And the, and the outpouring of funds to do that has been twofold. One, it's created a sense of just gladness that we could help. But secondly, it, it makes us... Uh, realize that the not we don't have enough conversation is really misguided. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. always have enough. Yeah, that's right. Well, those are great stories. Great. On the other end of it, maybe you could just say a, a, a brief word about some some struggles, some some point of struggles for your congregation. Yeah, I would say that uh, we now. Uh, over the last uh, several years, have our dim- average age has gone down, and so we are finding ourselves uh, 
balancing. I mean, it's, I guess some of the points of struggle have to do with with uh, struggling to come to a full tithe of our income. Hmm. Some of our families uh, have learned this from an early age to practice it, but many others, particularly those new coming into the church, mm-hmm. didn't grow up with that discipline. They're right. either new Christians or this, that was just not the model that they knew. And uh, so that that's a point of, uh, of, of growth, I would say, and not yeah. so much struggle. There is some struggle around that. Families with young children or college-age children have found this to be difficult and mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to be uh, graceful in that, in helping helping us to have conversations about it. We just had a leadership retreat in January in which that was one of the three things that was on the top of our list, to be, to, to be more focused on tithing as a spiritual practice. Right. Roy, we have about a, uh, a minute and a half, but I want to get one more question in just for you and yeah in in an ideal world what would the church be saying about money well let me say since i have a succinct amount of time i would say <laughs> that uh, we should be saying as many ways as possible that sharing what we have creates community hmm. and whenever we create community we create uh, a, a more happiness for everyone yeah it, so we should be saying that. I think the church should also be saying to all of us of every income level that generosity actually brings joy. It's not the amount of money necessarily. It's the, it's being generous with what you have, however little it is. That there's something about giving that does create, um, you know, a deep. Whenever whenever you're able to give, you feel better about yourself, about your relationship with God, your neighbors, all of that. Yeah, and that, so true. I guess the third thing was that all is gift. Mm. Yeah. Roy, thank you so much for being with us today. Your leadership around money in the church is, is evident, and your thoughtful reflections really have opened up some valuable new ideas for us, and I think we can take them to our local churches. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. All right. Hey, folks, we'll be right back. Uh, Stay with us talking about church and money. your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Ready for a unique two-show-in-one package? Check out Life's Journey with Tim Manson, the 7-Minute Motivator. On the one part, we're all about changing minds, one heart at a time. Tim will show you how to overcome struggles in your life and come out winning as Tim is overcoming his struggle with MS. On the flip side, Tim will show you how the power and spirit of the horse and equine-assisted learning programs can inspire and empower you to take that winning edge to a new level. It really is two shows in one. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. 
That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Our second guest today is Reverend Kim McDowell, the pastor of University Park Church of the Brethren in University Park, Maryland. She has also served congregations in New York and Indiana and worked as a hospital chaplain. Reverend McDowell has been active in regional and denominational life, is a board member of two small nonprofit peace and justice related organizations, and is a trustee at Juniata College. She and her husband, Hooker Monroe, have two daughters, one a senior in high school, the other in the Brethren Volunteer Service in Northern Ireland. Kim, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Kim, as a Church of the Brethren congregation, you have a strong denominational history, I know, of teachings on money issues. What are some of the central teachings about money within the Church of the Brethren? Well, simplicity and nonconformity are key concepts for brethren. And both of them, I think, are deeply related to the way we use money. Our understanding has been that to follow the way of Jesus means living simply, transformed by him rather than conformed to the world. And so in earlier years, that translated to plain dress, to very unadorned homes, and to church meeting houses that were functional but very rarely beautiful. Today, the expressions of simplicity are more varied, but in denominational statements and in programs, brethren are still giving voice to and trying to live this call to be simple in our ways of walking through the world, to resist consumerism, and to live in harmony with sisters and brothers around us and with the creation itself. Well, those uh, messages are really different from what we learn from our culture where we're so steeped in materialism. And I wonder how do people in your congregation deal with those differences? It sounds like there could be some real tensions there. Yes, I think you're right. There's often a clash between the messages we get from the culture and from the church. Maybe especially here where we live in this metropolitan area of D.C., where there's such a lot of affluence. I think all of us in the church probably do live in that tension pretty daily. The work of the church, I think, is partly to offer each other practice in focusing our lives and our priorities so one way that we try to deal with the difference in message is by coming together regularly just to do things that help move us beyond ourselves. So for us, recently working with refugee families or doing events for the community that support local or global needs or connecting with a school whose families are struggling, struggling uh, economically are all ways that we've we've tried to do that kind of practicing in focus. But it is true that individually we still face decisions about how to use our money, and I think it is a challenge for members in our church to choose simple living. And I guess the truth is that we're all finding our ways. Yeah. Can uh, the discrepancy between the your legacy of simplicity and today's culture actually shut down some of the conversation? Do you th- is it, are people still open to it? It sounds like they are. No, but that's a great question because I think that discrepancy can have that effect because it's easy for people in our tradition who are really aware of the centrality of simplicity in our value system and in our understanding of what Christ calls us to, to feel somewhat uncomfortable about talking about personal decisions, especially if that might they might seem to contradict those values. Honest reflecting about financial decisions, about buying a house, for example, or spending money on a car or taking a vacation can become a little bit sources of dis-ease mm-hmm. when we worry about the fact that our choices might seem extravagant to others or seem not to reflect the priorities that we claim as a church. So I think there is some of that effect. 
Yeah. How often do you preach about money and what's your focus when you do? Well, the Gospels are full of Jesus' words about economics and I probably will always remember the New Testament that Jim Wallace used to hold up. Maybe some have seen that one that he had literally cut all references to money from and it was in absolute tatters. So preaching for me often touches on economics, justice, care for the least, giving freely, the centrality of community above individuality. All of those things are related to money. But that said, it's still probably somewhat rare for me to preach directly about money or to really explore how we make personal decisions using our money. Mm-hmm. I know one of, the, one of the things I hear when I speak at churches about money is that our spiritual life should be kind of above all this. And I'm curious how you help people make the connections between their spiritual lives and money. Well, I think that uh, money is so key to our lives every day, just small and large uh, decisions about the way we use money that for that reason alone, it it should be a matter of faith and reflection since uh, our lives are expressions of our faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, probably the primary ways of trying to encourage that connection are simply to open the conversation more directly, to try to you know, invite people to reflect on what they are facing and how they're making their decisions. It is true that it's not always easy to um, to overcome what Roy was calling the culture of secrecy or uh, hiddenness. There's there's kind of this sense that our decisions about our money are very personal, and I think that grows out of the individualism of our our culture and out of some of the fears we have. Uh, so I, I think the primary way of doing that is, is simply to speak honestly myself and to try to invite that honesty as much as is possible. We have lots of opportunities to, to talk about money when it comes to church decision-making and budgeting, and those are ways, too, where it's important to, I think, model reflectiveness on our priorities. So I guess those yeah. are some of the central ways. Yeah, that's very helpful. I'd like to hear, too, I asked this to Roy, um, if you share a joyful money-related experience in your church community. Yeah. Um, I think we've had a number of those as well, but one that comes to mind quickly is that uh, something that happened just in these last couple of years For the past few years, we've had a Rwandan refugee family living in the church-owned house, which is right next to the church building, and they became really good friends and members of our congregation. During the time that they were with us, they had word, they got news that a beloved member of their family had been killed in a roadside attack in eastern Congo, Mm. and their hearts were just broken, and all of us, I think, felt the anguish with them. And there was this very real desire in our community to reach out somehow, and several people began to ask questions about how we could do that. Our Rwandan friend told us that the surviving family, and I think there were eight of them, many young children in this family, would be dependent now on the oldest of the sons, who was just at the point of moving toward university, um, and would now probably be unable to do that. And really quickly, there was movement in the church to work to support this young man in Rwanda by covering the costs of his education. That means um, a lot less money, of course, there than it does here, but uh, right away people started to to think about ways to raise money and then to designate some of the money that had been available to us that was undesignated or had other earmarks initially, and to send that uh, to him. And so we've been supporting him for about three years now, and I think 
there was a lot of joy in that, both the spontaneity and, and in the dedication of the response. Uh, and, of course, we hope that it will make a difference for not only for him but for his family as well. It's mm, a beautiful story. Do you see um, uh, giving as a, uh, a spiritual discipline and as a practical matter? How important is that in, in your theology? Yeah, I do see it as a spiritual discipline, um, but I think that as with all disciplines, they exist in order to lead us toward uh, deeper and richer um, lives, more joy, more satisfaction. So, you know, I I worry a little bit sometimes about our talking about disciplines because um, the, the word has such negative connotations for so many people, but I think it is a... Uh, giving is an invitation to to deeper meaning, and I, I think that's key to what we do in the church. Um, one way that we are we're trying to encourage people uh, to think about giving as a part of their lives of faith is that we've asked uh, a different person every week to offer the invitation um, to giving to the, to the offering, and so people have shared a whole variety of stories from their own lives and their daily experiences and thinking about their own giving. And it's it's been very diverse and I think really rich in kind of making the connection between our daily lives and our and our life of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's great to have have the other voices uh, other than yeah. just the the pastor or, or oh, yeah, the leader and of the, the church. Pastor. <laughs> it's yeah, great for the pastor not right. to have to be the one always. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That it's a, I think, a sign of a healthy, healthy church. Kim, I know that you all have an emphasis also on environmental stewardship, and uh, why why did your congregation make that connection between the environment and stewardship, and how do you practice it? Well, I think that because. There are, because all of us to some extent and and many with some special emphases in our congregation really have cherished um, the the out of doors, you know, in itself. Um, And because many of us have been learning a lot about issues of environmental stewardship and climate change, we, it was kind of a natural thing to begin to talk more about how, Caring for the earth is also a part of what we we want to do together, and we had made some steps in that direction. Some smaller um, decisions about conscious recycling. We have an avid composter who collects our paper plates whenever we use them. Although we try to avoid that and take them home and compost them. Uh, you know, we've made some small efforts at energy conservation and reduction and I've been using green cleaning products and green uh, recycled paper products but one of the big ways that um, really came to us not so much from our own initiative but from the community around us was the opportunity to put solar panels on the roof of our church our neighborhood is one that has a lot of trees in it and there were a number of people in the neighborhood who are not connected to the church who were interested in trying to uh, develop and support alternative forms of uh, energy production. And so they came to us and asked about whether we might enter into a partnership with them in which they would form um, a limited liability corporation that was existing in order to to do this project, um, and we would be the hosts for the project. They would continue to, they would fund it and own the solar array, and we would host it and use the electricity that was produced from it and pay them for the electricity oh, at a lower rate than than the public utility. Yeah, yeah, it was a wonderful vision, and while there, it did take some. You know, some time and thinking through and hashing out, there there was a pretty quick energy in the congregation 
that was very positive around this. And so we now host this array, which covers all, uh, produces enough energy for everything that we use in the church. And we pay um, the LLC for the energy we use and feed some of it back into the power grid. So we feel that that's just been a great way to, um, you know, to take some responsibility for where we are and and to model for some other organizations right. a way that can uh, create kind of a collaborative success. Yeah, that's so great. We've been, we've been uh, really blessed by the fact that they came up with this idea. (laughs) That that is very creative. Hey, folks, we need to take a quick break and stay with us. We'll be right back. We're talking about church and money. on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. It's time to empower our kids so they can make the best decisions now and later in life. Listen for I Am For Kids Radio with host Mark Papadis. Mark is the founder of the I Am For Kids Foundation, which is a recognized 501c3 charity committed to revolutionizing elementary education in the U.S. Our show helps kids, teachers, and parents to realize the power of identity and help each of us decide who we are and our place in the world. I Am For Kids Radio is heard live Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. We're talking with Reverend Kim McDowell, uh, pastor of University Park Church of the Brethren in University Park, Maryland. And Kim, uh, before I let you go, uh, is there anything? You wish you would have known when you were just starting out and uh, just out of seminary, is there anything you would say, oh, I wish I would have known this about about working with money in the church? <laughs> yeah, I think I I knew very little. <laughs> I came, I came um, from an experience of uh, living in a, in a community myself where we shared... Uh-huh income and expenses for a number of years, and that was uh, an amazingly freeing time in my life. Of course, many things have changed and gotten more complicated than they were then, but uh, it it helped to shape my uh, approach to money as I entered into ministry, and I think I had very few tools to translate that kind of... Um, vision for an alternative mm-hmm. way of, of looking at money into a church setting. Uh, one of the things I guess I wish I had had was uh, some access to strategies for inviting people to share more freely about money, mm-hmm. resources mm-hmm. and books and small group process materials maybe. Those, those sorts yeah. of things would have been helpful. Yeah. Um, and I, I, perhaps because I was not a part of... Uh, an intentional uh, pastoral leadership track when I first entered seminary missed out on some of the uh, some of the classes that may have been there, although I frankly cannot remember that they were yeah, on, yeah. Uh, budgeting on spirituality on church um, church mm. decision making. Sure, sounds like you've learned a lot over the years, and just want to say how thankful we are for taking the time to talk with us today, and um, all the best. Well, thank you, and I appreciate what you're trying to do as you ask people to be, think about these questions. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Hey, we end each of our programs uh, by challenging each other to take a step, any step, an actual move from the general desire to connect our faith and our money to specific actions that help us make those connections. 
our focus today has been on inviting these crucial money conversations into our churches, putting to work all the gifts, creativity, and support of our ministers and communities on some of the hard money questions so we can figure them out together and walk together on this vital part of our spiritual journey. The first action step this week is to simply answer a couple questions to spark your thinking about how your church relates around money. First, name something your church has done around money that you're really proud of. For example, was there a time when the people of the church acted collectively to help someone or struggled with a tough financial decision and acted with integrity? Whatever you recall, this is the time to acknowledge and celebrate that. The next part of this action step Consider where you think your church needs to develop in the way the community handles money questions. And is there a role you can play in nurturing that development? The second action step is to look at your church budget. Is that daunting? Some people aren't at all accustomed to looking at budget, but that's okay. Try anyway. Perhaps you could even ask someone to help you interpret what you're seeing. Here's why it matters. However daunting or boring a church budget may seem, it is ultimately a spiritual document, a reflection on what the church values and where it places its priorities as God's community. What story does your church budget tell about the values of this community of God's people? Awareness is a key step in helping uh, be a part of the larger money discussion. The final action step is to reflect on how your church defines stewardship. Is it basically financial giving? How does the church encourage or empower people's gifts and their resources? Um, How does environmental stewardship fit into the broader picture of your church? Because this would be a perfect step to take with other people in your church, consider inviting others to join the conversation and bring their insights to the table. Thank you for sharing this time with us today. You are now part of the Faith and Money Network joining together to live into God's economy of enough for all, of solidarity and of action grounded in love. Blessings on the journey. Thank you for joining us this week on Faith and Money, Making the Connection. Please tune in again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, for another edition with your host, Mike Little, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Take a step this week to let your faith shape your money choices. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.